were really led to this thought of good soil because we're, we're praying, Lord, may we be the kind of church that's good soil, that receive your word, that when your word uh, comes to us, we, we, we heed it, we listen to it, we follow it. I, and I love the book of Acts, and it's been such a, a joy studying it and, and just gleaning what God is saying through his word. And, and, and you know, the, the, as I grow in my walk with the Lord, and the more experiences I have in my life um, in serving the Lord, God continues to help me change my perspective on suffering and on difficult times. Um, I have some friends who don't know Christ that would say things like, to me like, um, you know, where was God when, when that happened or when you got that diagnosis or, or was God not powerful enough to stop that death? And, and that's an interesting concept because, you know, I even have Christians, friends, or people that, that have said suffering is equated to some kind of lack of faith or some kind of disobedience in, in your life. And, and, and the, the more I study the Bible and understand the story of Scripture, God prepares us to recognize that life is full of ups and downs. There's going to be times of plenty. There's going to be times of need. There's going to be times of, of there's going to be good times. There's going to be difficult times. We're, we're going to study Ecclesiastes in, after Easter. And, and, you know, as we're preparing for that now, we're seeing that there's a time for everything under the sun. You know, there's a time to die. And, and, and you know, the truth is um, suffering is, not, is something we need to understand as believers. And Jesus prepared us for this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in Matthew 7, Jesus says, when you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the winds blew, and it beat against that house, but it did not fall. So, so it's, Jesus even tells us, the, those that put God's word into practice, rains are going to come. Storms are going to come for all of us. Storms come. And, but Jesus said, when you hear these words of mine, you do not put them into practice. You're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the winds blew it, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And so the, the critical thing is to be that good soil, that, that, that believer that says, Lord, we're going to put your word into practice, and, and this is what we're going to do. We're in Acts 20, end of 22, 23 today, if you have your Bibles, turn there, because, um, you know, honestly, this is an interesting moment in the life of Paul, and, and, and we get to watch Paul go through these difficult circumstances, and it's the calling of his life, and it's an interesting moment, and, and Paul would eventually write 1 Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, the, the letter to the Corinthians. He wrote two letters to them in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 12.10. He says, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's an interesting concept, isn't it? It doesn't make sense that when you're weak, that's when you're strong. I mean, for us as a Christian, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of doubt, in a moment of fear, in a moment of trial, the Bible says when we are weak, we are strong. How is that true? It's because I found in my own life, in those moments of weakness, in those moments of trial, I'm not, I'm not confused on the fact that I need Jesus. 
I need him. It's sometimes in, when we're strong, when things are going well, we forget that we need the Lord. We forget that we need to rely upon him. And, and as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we're to recognize that, that God is faithful in all times. God is faithful in times of plenty. God is faithful in times of difficulty, in times of need. And this is how important for us as we grow in our walk with the Lord. Now, where we ended last week, we see this really difficult moment in Paul's life. He's, Agabus had predicted that you're going to be arrested. And sure enough, he goes to Jerusalem, and man, he's arrested. And it's a tough time. Acts 22, he gets arrested, and, and, he's, and, and you'll find, we'll discover it, for the rest of Paul's life, he remains a prisoner. So he never gets out of prison from this moment on. And, and this was his calling. And this is not like, like sometimes we think, oh, Paul's like got his coffee and writing these letters. And, and, you know, he's like got his feet kicked up and, you know, in a little nice little cell. No, this is a tough time. I mean, this is not a good thing to be a prisoner. But Paul writes things like my life first, Ephesians 4.1. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And that's an interesting perspective in suffering. He's like, hey, if I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be one for the Lord. And that's an important picture because whatever circumstance he's in, he's like, Lord, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to serve you. And that's a lesson that we see in Paul's life. Now, last week we ended this Roman tribune in Jerusalem. His job is to keep peace in Jerusalem. Now, as we look at history, that's been an historically difficult job, right? I mean, we're still talking about the difficulty in Jerusalem, the, the peace that needs to happen in Israel. And, and, and so this Roman tribune, he's like, dadgum, these, these, uh, these Jews, man, they're tough to keep peace here. And, and he's, uh, he's kind of thrown into this situation. They want to kill Paul, and, uh, and it comes to light, but he, first he thinks he's this Egyptian, like, terrorist, but he's like, he doesn't even know who Paul is. That's an interesting thing, because, you know, our, our perspective is, oh, everybody knew about Paul. No, the Romans, they're like, I don't know who Paul, who's this guy, you know? Um, and, oh, this Jesus was just this little faction over here, not even a concern of theirs, and he's like, okay, who's this Paul guy? They don't even know who he is in this, but, but it's important that he realizes he's a Roman citizen, so that's you know, we understand that. American citizenship, that's a big deal for us. And we got that from Rome. I mean, this came over from, this is where all this began when you think about our Western society. And, and, uh, but it's interesting, when you look at what Paul does, I think what we're going to look at today, and it's an interesting title, I thought. It's kind of an oxymoron. How, how do we suffer well? How do we go through suffering in a good way? This is important for us to understand. Because we're going to all, you may not be in a trial right now in your life. You may be like, hey, man, things are going good. Great. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. But, but you know what? You might go through a trial this year. I mean, we look back on our lives and trials are unexpected sometimes. We don't always see them coming. And, and it's important for us as Christians to recognize that God is faithful in the good times and the bad. And as we grow up in our faith, we'll discover this. And so it's interesting. This is a really odd kind of moment. Um, and, and, uh, so stand with me. We're going to be at Acts 22, 30. We're going to read through verse five, but we're going to study through verse 11 today. And we'll kind of continue this idea next week a little bit, but verse 30, chapter 22, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. 
And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order, to me, to, order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Maybe see, what a, what a crazy moment. I mean, I mean, he's a prisoner here, and, and he's going to be in military custody for the rest of his life. And looking back at verse 30, this tribunal guy, he's like, hey, he's got to figure this out because he's held accountable to keep the Roman law. And so he's got to keep peace, so his reputation's on the line. And, and he's like, uh, he's trying to figure out, who is this guy? What's the reason for this? Why are the Jews all ticked off at him? But they're really mad. And so he's like, I got this idea. Let's get these guys together and let them talk through it. So the next day, he's desiring to know the real reason why he's being accused by the Jews. He unbound Paul. He gets the chief, chief priest there and all the council, and he, he brought them down before him. Now, now um, it's interesting, as, as we look at this, this moment, the captain of his guard brought Paul into the council chamber. Step in, he stepped inside to watch these proceedings, and, and, lo- and Paul looks intently at the council, the Bible says. And Paul says, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, now what's he saying there? He's like, look, I, I, I have a good conscience before God. Now, this was really offensive to the Jews because what was Paul doing? He was saying that, that, look, Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. I mean, this is why the Jews wanted to kill Jesus from the beginning. He said, look, you're not the Messiah. You're not God in the flesh. You can't do all these things. And Paul was like these guys. He was zealous. He was ready to stamp out Christianity. And, and, and you know, even to this day, when we were in Israel, um, we, our, our, uh, our guide was Jewish. And, um, and Shlomi, I, I really tried to build a relationship with him. And, you know, uh, we, you know, they tell us when we go to Israel, they don't try to evangelize the guides. I mean, they've heard it all. I mean, these guys lead Christian groups all through Israel. So every pastor is like, hey, I'm going to lead this guy to Jesus, you know. And, uh, and so I was trying not to be a cocky, knothead pastor, you know. Um, but, but I did have a moment with Shlomi. I said, Shlomi, I just want help me understand what you think. Like, like, what do you do with Jesus? And they said, oh, he said, well, we just see Jesus as just another false prophet. And what, the Slomi was not very religious, so he's like, yeah, I'm not really mad about it. I just, let's tell you what it is. We, we just see him as, as a false teacher. And I said to him, I said, well, what do you do about the, the resurrection? Because yeah, that's a big deal, right? I mean, if, if Jesus could conquer the grave, that, that's worth a look, right? He's like, yeah, I, I, I'd probably be a big deal. Yeah, that'd be a big deal. And, um, but it's interesting. The Jews all through history have looked at Jesus and said, oh, he's just a false teacher. We discount him. And so it was offensive to them 
to, to hear that Paul's like, I have a good conscience that I believe in Jesus. Now, why did Paul have a good conscience? Because Jesus met with him. He talked to him. And he had that road to Damascus. His testimony, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, he's like, look, my testimony has proven that God is real. That, that, and I've seen God move. I've heard him, heard his voice. And, but it's interesting, as, as Paul says, I've had a good conscience of, to this day. I mean, what is our conscience? It's this, this inner, uh, inner voice in our life that says this is the right thing. And, and when we break our conscience or we do something against our conscience, it says, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong for us. And Paul's like, look, I have a good conscience before God. At that statement, the high priest gave a signal, and this guard just came, this, this Jewish leader came and just punched him right in the mouth. And can you imagine? Have you ever been punched in the mouth? I have. I've been punched in the mouth before without, look, without knowing it was coming. That was a bummer. I mean, it was like, what? Where'd that come from? You know, and, and Paul is mad. Wouldn't you be mad? I was kind of mad when I got punched in the mouth. I, this guy was bigger than me, so I just mouthed off. I couldn't have whipped him. But, um, um, but you know, Paul, Paul was mad. Verse 2, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, you punk, <laughs> Chris Wall interpretation there, um, God, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. What's he referring to? Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel was, was this, like, prophet who, you know, all through his, the Israelites, they hated their prophets. And, and Ezekiel, in, in, in Ezekiel 13, he talks about the prophets that are, that are like whitewashed walls. They, 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 they cover over, they're really just, uh, they're misleading people. Now, if you're a prophet, if you're a religious leader, you don't want to be known as a misleading prophet. I mean, that's one of the things I don't want to, as a pastor, I don't want to be a misleading pastor. This is why I want to make sure that when I get up and preach, it's very clear we're studying God's word because I don't want to just give you my philosophy. I would mislead you if I didn't constantly reorient my life and say, let's all come together and look at what God's word says. Because, you know, really we're, um, you know, I'm an, uh, as a pastor, I'll be a faithful pastor if I remember often, all the time, that I need God's word. And so what we're doing together every time we come together is you're not coming here listening to me or to someone preach, but together we are coming together looking at the Holy Spirit saying, God, would you lead all of us? And I'm just sitting with you going, Lord, lead us into your truth, into your understanding. And that's what the role of a pastor is. And Ananias He's a high priest. Now, don't confuse him with the guy that led Paul to the Lord. This is a different Ananias. This is like another guy named Chris. Okay, it's not the same Ananias. There, there are a couple of Ananiases in Scripture. This is Ananias the priest. He had, a, he had quite a reputation. I mean, history tells us that Ananias was, was a very corrupt pre, high priest, that he would steal tithes and offerings from other priests. So this is a bad dude. He, he was more concerned with, with Rome and having Rome look well on him rather than, like, do his job, you know. So he was corrupt, and, and he died a bad death and, you know, in 80, uh, when, when 80, 70, when the temple was burned, he was killed, and, it was a, and, and he was killed not by the Romans, by the Jews. The Jews killed him because he was so corrupt. So this is the guy that, as Paul is sitting there, he commands and he strikes him on the mouth. And now 
I, I like this. I'm grateful because we put Paul on his pedestal, but, but he's kind of hot-headed, and, and, and you know, he, he, he lashes out. And, and uh, I probably would too because Paul knew I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that. That's illegal. You just did something illegal to me. Now, if that happened to us, if, if our rights are infringed upon, if you get a ticket or something or, or, or you are treated wrongly by a, by a police officer, you're going, I'm appealing to a different authority. And Paul is ticked right here. And what's interesting, he, he, he criticizes him. You whitewashed wall. This is a huge insult. Then he says, are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? He's like, you just broke the law here. How dare you? And what's interesting, it's really interesting what Paul does next. Verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And then Paul says, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That's really interesting. Some people say Paul's being sarcastic here. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think what Paul's doing, he's repenting. He's like, oh, man, I just messed up. Have you ever been in a situation where an ungodly person, you feel like you're right, you're morally right, and then someone came against you and harmed you. Isn't it easy to justify our own actions to lash out or to be disrespectful or even to sin going after them or against them? And Paul understood from Jesus that, you know what, he didn't retaliate. And Paul says, you know, look, I, I, I need to, Hey, I'm sorry. My bad. But he's, think about it. His mouth's bleeding. He's got punched in the face. That's not a moment that makes you want to be quick to repent. But you know what? If we're going to suffer well, point number one is this. We need to be quick to repent. That's an interesting idea, right? Like if we're going through difficult times, that's a moment that we need to be closest to the Lord. Sometimes when we go through difficult times, we want to run away from the Lord. We want to blame somebody else or lash out at somebody else. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe if you're going through a tough time in your marriage, you want to lash out at your spouse. Rather than go, okay, what do I, what have I, how have I contributed to some of this problem? You know, what Paul is doing is in the middle of his suffering, he's like, I've got to be right with the Lord. And, and that's something I pray that we understand is that regardless of the circumstance in our life that we, we are like, we, have, we need to be right with the Lord. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to walk with the Lord. We need to obey the Lord. And, and here's a couple of ideas that, do you know that I'm not entitled to sin even when I'm wronged? Now think about that. None of, we're never entitled to sin. And sometimes we think that. We convince ourselves that, you know what, I can lash out. I can, I can, I have righteous, I can be a righteous, angry at this, right, have righteous anger towards this person. But the Bible tells us that it's okay to be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Paul wrote about that. And here he's living it out. You know, sometimes when we, when we are in a difficult moment, we feel like, hey, he's wronged me, so I am entitled to sin in some way. But I pray we never forget this. We are, it's never okay to sin. 
It's never okay to disobey the Lord. We, we, this is why we've got to know God's word. This is why we've got to submit to God's, God's voice. It's never okay to, to sin. And, and we, we see this in Scripture, and this is so difficult in the middle of, of suffering, even when somebody comes against us in a negative way. Do you know that it's better to bless than to curse? It's better to, it's better to bless somebody than curse them. We want to curse them. I mean, we want to do the eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth or, or the idea that God's going to get you and you know what? He's going to use me to do it and I'm excited about it. You know, have you ever had that feeling? Um, but it's better to bless than to curse. Would you think about that the next time you're mad at somebody or you're frustrated with somebody at work or you're in your house? It's better to bless than to curse. Now, I don't do this all the time, but, but can we say something together? I'm gonna, Rhonda, I want you to put this up. Let, let's just say this together. And, and even if you don't mean it right now, it's okay. <laughs> let's just say it out loud just to get it in your mind, okay? And then you can think about to the Lord whether you mean it or not later, okay? Um, but let's just say this out loud. Ready? I commit to repent and submit quickly when I recognize that I am wrong. Now, um, isn't it hard to admit when you're wrong? My wife has taught me in my life. We, we, she, she brought this into our marriage. I don't know where she learned it. Um, uh, but, but this idea of when, when we offend one another to say, I'm sorry. How many of us have just said, oh, sorry about that? Okay, that didn't work at our house. I, it, it has to be, I'm sorry, I was wrong, would you please forgive me? It's the trinity of apology that we call at our house. And, uh, um, but but you've got to say, I'm sorry, that's a start. And when you say, I was wrong, isn't that, doesn't that feel bad? Doesn't that feel weird? Like to look at, I mean, the, the next, I want to challenge you in your, in your marriage, okay? If you're married, the next time you and your spouse have an argument, look at each other and say, okay, let's try this. I was, isn't that hard to say? It's like I was wrong. And then that, would you please forgive me? You know, that's, a, that's what Paul does here. He's mad. He's bleeding. He's, uh, he's not, he shouldn't be arrested. These guys are lying. These guys are not nice people. But he repents in front of them. And I think that's so interesting. Look at what happened next in verse 6. Because, you know, well, well let, me, let me say this before I move on from here. I want to remind you about Jesus. Why is this important? Remember what? Peter writes something about Jesus, and, and Peter saw Jesus do this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes this, this concept. This, when he's talking about when suffering, what Jesus did when he, was suff- when he suffered. And he puts it in the context of slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And then Peter writes, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. 
that, that you know what, as Christians, we are to bear up under the pain sometimes of unjust suffering. Why? Because we are conscious of God. And then he says, but how is it, what is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you receive a beating for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. And listen to this, to this you were called. Now, this is why, as Christians, we've got to consider our view on tough times. Because the Bible says, to this we were called. We're called to suffer well. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then, it's, it's interesting, Peter writes that when he committed, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so it's interesting. As we, we see Peter fleshing this out because he's, he's like, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to retaliate. But, but he knew, man, I got I to... Gotta, I don't know that I want to, I'm ready to die right now. So he's like, he does something really smart here. I don't, I think Paul's just kind of thinking through this a little bit. And, and he, he repents and, 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 you know, in this crowd are Pharisees and Sadducees. This is who's this council. Now, the Pharisees were the conservative group. They were the people that, that would be like Fox, extreme Fox News guys, okay? Um, the Sadducees would be like extreme CNN people, okay? Uh, they were the liberal kind of voices. And, and the Pharisees would believe in a resurrection, and the Sadducees would not believe in a resurrection. And this was the bit, one of the big dividers of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was kind of like two political parties. And... Um, and, and Paul knows this. He knows them. And Paul was a Pharisee, remember? He, that's what he was like. He was a Pharisee. And so Paul says, says to them, hey, you know what? Really, the issue, verse 6, now Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. And he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And this is how messed up it is. The tribunal is probably looking at these guys going, you guys are idiots. What are you doing? Because all of a sudden, when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Verse 9, then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. Okay, they just punched him in the mouth. Okay, they're wanting to kill him. And now all of a sudden, before this tribunal, they're like, no, we like Paul. We want to defend him. And I bet that tribunal is going, what are, you, what are you guys doing? In verse 10, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them and bring them into the barracks. Now, now this was brilliant. You know, this is just a brilliant move. Because in, in this tribu tribunal, this, they're, they're, he's just trying to like, keep peace because he's giving an account. And he's like, you guys, you don't even know what you're doing. You're, you're, so, you're, you're, you're crazy because they're fighting. But look at what happened in verse 11. So interesting. That night, um, Paul had to have been struggling with this. 
This had to have been like, God, I don't understand. Because we look at Paul like he's like, oh, he knows everything's going good. But, 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 but I think he's struggling. I think he's nervous. I think he's scared. I mean, he's healing. He's like, why am I, Lord, what, what's going on? I'm suffering for you. But he's learning that God is faithful. And, and, and it's one of those moments that he's experiencing weakness, but yet finding strength. Why? Because of verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him. And said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, this is, this is huge. And I want you to know, in the midst of the reason we can suffer well is because when we go through difficult times, God is faithful to speak to us. And I've, I've experienced that in my life times that I'm like, God, I don't see it. I don't understand. I need your help. And God has strengthened me. I've, I've, I've just seen it over and over again. And, and, and what I love about Paul is in this moment of weakness, in this moment of he's angry and he's lashing out, and then he's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in the midst of this trial. God, I, I know that you're faithful. He's in his barracks. It's not comfortable. It's not, he's not drinking a tea. He, he's, he's just struggling. He's in the cell. And God came and spoke to him. And you know, God does this for us. Point number two is in the middle of suffering, we've got to pay attention to God's voice. And, and I, I want you to do that. I want you to learn to do that. Like when you're suffering, don't justify sin. Don't, don't, it's not okay to, to, to sin, so be quick to repent. But also, when you're in the midst of a difficult time, listen for God's voice. You know what makes God unique from uh, all through history? It's his power to speak. I mean, God has been powerful to speak. I mean, you know, when you look at the, from the first pages of the Bible, words are very important to God. I mean, God, that, that's a big deal. Words are important to God because he has communicated to us through words, through our language. He's met us where we are. That's why the, the, the Lord's Supper is such a big moment. It's a moment that we recognize God came to where we are. God came to us and he spoke to us. And, and, and when you look at the, the th one of the most interesting themes of the Bible, all through the Bible, you hear this idea over and over again that God has given us his words. And, and there's a really good book I read, finished yesterday. It's, it's by a guy named Mark Dever. He says this about God speaking. He says, his power to speak, to command, to be heard and understood, that sets him apart from false gods. His people are always tempted to worship. The God of the Bible is utterly unique utterly singular, utterly worth, worth our worship. And one of the most important evidences for, the, for that is the fact that God speaks. And so you know what's amazing about God? He speaks to us. So as we, as we pay attention to God's voice, I, I, I pray that we recognize that God's power to speak sets him apart. God's faithfulness to be heard. You know, when he is faithful to, to, to come to us, you know that that gives us strength. And this is why we should pay attention to God's voice because in the midst of suffering, God's faithfulness to be heard gives us strength. God's willingness to be understood helps us trust him. 
And you know what? That's why, why this day and coming together corporately to worship is so important. And understanding the word of God is so important because God speaks to us. And this is why we li- live in this world that is so sophisticated that when we say it's that, oh, God has spoken to me, uh, 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 the, the sophisticated world goes, really? Are you? Okay, whatever. But the reality is that's the most normal part of our lives as a Christian is for God to speak to us. Now, we, we've got to discern if God says to you something, you've got to look at his word and make sure it's consistent with what his word says. It's like when I was a youth minister and I had a, a dad come to me of one of my students and he said, you know, Chris, I'm struggling. He goes, um, my marriage is struggling and, and I've met this other woman and God wants me to go marry this other woman and divorce my wife. I'm like, no, he doesn't. That's the burrito you ate, and you need to take medicine for that. That's not God. That goes completely against God's word. That is not God. How do you know? How can you, bold, how can you be so arrogant to say that? Oh, that's, that's common sense. I mean, God did not say that. But I want you to recognize it's normal for God to speak. And, and then we'll flesh this out a little more next week. But, but point number three is this. And Paul sees this. God spoke to him. And then you know what he got to do? He got to watch the Lord work out the circumstances. And, and, and you know, God, God does this. God works out the circumstances in our lives. And here's what I, I want us to end on right here. It's this idea that the Lord sees you. I want you to know that the Lord sees you. The Lord hears you. The Lord guides you in every situation. And I'll be honest, there are, there are situations in my life that I don't know how they're all going to work out, and I might, ne- I might not ever know how times of suffering um, are part of God's plan. But one of the things I do know is that God helps me through every circumstance. The miracle of following Jesus is not that we are kept from difficult times. The miracle of following Jesus is that when we go through tough times, he holds our hands and walks us through it. And so I want you to remember that. You may be in a time that it's like going great. Man, I'm thankful for that. But don't forget that you need the Lord today, even though it's going great, even though you're experiencing success. Don't get trusting in your success that you forget you need the Lord because that's what sometimes success does. It, It causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus. But if you're going through a tough time right now, thank the Lord because you know you need him. And, and I, you know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, oh, you need him. You need him more than you need the next breath that you take. That's why I just want to plead with you, come to Christ. Know you're a sinner. Recognize that you, your plan's not going to work. You need his plan for your life. God is faithful to speak. Is he speaking to you now? Like right now? In some way? Are you, to, are you supposed to respond in some way? Not to me. 
I'm, I'm just gathered together. I'm just standing together with you, looking at God's word, saying, God, would you speak to us? We're going to have an invitation. In our, uh, you know, in our invitation, we, we, I like these moments. I think these are important moments for us. Because we've gathered corporately and we've gathered around God's word. And, and every time we gather around God's word, it's, he moves us. He speaks to us. He, he's, he's, I've got a response to this. Now, maybe your response is to come and pray. Maybe it's just to go do something. You don't have to come down and pray. You're not extra spiritual if you come pray. But, but I'll tell you what, we need to pray. It's okay to get on our knees and, God, I need you. We're, we don't apologize for that here. Uh, if, you need, if you don't know Christ, would you, can I just tell you, we invite you to come and you can talk to us. Last week, we had a man that walked down the aisle and said, man, I, don't, I, don't, I, need, I need to be saved. And he was saved. Now, coming down an aisle doesn't save you, but we'd like to take God's word and open it and show you what God's word says about salvation. And if that's you today, would you come and talk to us and we'll help you. Golly, we'll help you. We love it that God's put us in your life for this reason. So our, our, maybe you're going through a tough time and God's brought you here and said, hey, I see you. I hear you. So come get on your knees and talk to him. Bring it to him.